Welcome to the Yard Reform Podcast. We strive to help people understand the effects of applying chemicals to their yards and attempt to change the way we landscape, garden, and live overall. Join us weekly for chats about all things organic gardening and landscaping, composting, permaculture, native planting, pollinators, and beyond. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy today's show. This is Emily Richards, and you're listening to the Yard Reform Podcast. I'm so excited to be here today with Heather Holm, award-winning author of books like Pollinators of Native Plants. She is a speaker, an educator, and an advocate for the bees. Heather, thank you for doing this with me. Thanks for having me, Emily. Of course. So I wanted to start with your background and just how you sort of ended up on the journey that you did towards bees. Yeah, I kind of have a broad, I call it a broad generalist background. So I studied horticulture and biology um, and, you know, did some some classes in entomology, was always interested in insects, but it wasn't until uh, I first started my horticulture degree working in traditional landscapes. And then when I switched to working in doing native landscapes, it was just eye-opening, you know, the difference in insect diversity. And I, I always joke with people, that's that's the point in time that I went down the insect rabbit hole again and never came out. <laughs> so, you know, I started to see really interesting pattern, patterns in insect visitation to specific plants. And that's kind of what stimulated me to write my first book, just to get people enthused about this amazing sort of television show that we have going on outside of our front doors. Well, I like that way of looking at it because it's a very positive light on um, what sometimes people think of as a, as a nuisance. And so I wanted to go back to the basics. Um, We've all heard save the bees and maybe even if you're in the know, you're saving all the insects. Why should we, care at all about these things that most of us probably have a horror story about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, you know, sometimes that idea that, um, or the memory of being stung is often misplaced. And the reason being, um, most people have probably probably been stung by a wasp, but uh, less likely by a bee unless they're keeping honeybees, for example. So it's already, we start off on the wrong foot of, um, thinking that one particular insect was the culprit when it was actually another insect. Um, That's not to say both bees and wasps are beneficial and important, but um, sometimes it's hard to get people beyond that uh, memory, I call it the memory experience, you know, to to embrace pollinators and to feel comfortable uh, observing them and having them come come to their gardens or yards. Yeah, I actually just moved into a new home and had my niece over. And of course, the first thing that happened is she stepped on a yellow jacket nest. Um, So I'm thinking to myself, how would I, how can I tell my sister-in-law that I'm actually trying to attract bees to my garden? (laughs) And, um, you know, that, that this is a good thing. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Yellow jackets, of course, are uh, so the big difference that people, you know, once you get sort of start to learn about all the insect diversity, pollinators, and um, it really comes down to the way a particular insect nests. So yellow jackets are a type of wasp that nest in colonies. And similar to the, you know, large paper colonies you see hanging in a tree once the leaves fall in the late fall, um, they build similar, you know, colonies below ground. And that's typically the insect that people get stung by, usually, uh, you know, any, starting anywhere from midsummer into autumn when those colonies get pretty big and many wasps are perching at the entrance, defending it and ready to attack uh, some, some unfortunate person that steps near the nest. So, yeah, it's really hard because now your your niece has a very <laughs> unpleasant experience and memory of, <laughs> of that. But um, there are certainly ways to to avoid getting stung if you know what to look for and, um, you know, ways to discourage those kinds of nests being established right in, in, in the yard where people are, have high activity. Definitely. And, you know, one of the things that we, we were just walking aimlessly in a forest that had no paths um, and, and nothing. So, you know, in your established garden, it, it's a lot less likely that you're going to step on a nest. <laughs> but, um, so one of the things that I think really helps people understand and, and get over the fear of bees is realizing how important they are and, and realizing what is going on with bee populations. So can you talk a little bit about um, the reasons why bees matter? Um, why if bees didn't exist, <laughs> we would be upset about that? Sure, yeah, the, um, the general narrative of course focuses on the, the food that we're dependent upon as humans. So bees pollinate approximately a third of all the fruits and vegetables and food crops that we consume. So that's one reason why they're important. Um, I kind of look at it from a conservation standpoint and biodiversity standpoint. So bees and other insect pollinators are responsible for pollinating anywhere from 85 to 90% of the flowering plants on earth. So you can imagine what catastrophic effect that would have if those plants weren't producing seed or fruit or other, uh, or foliage for that matter, just reproducing, that all those other organisms in the food web depend upon. And, um, and then of course, the, the really interesting and uh, symbiotic and special relationship just alone between insects and plants really forms that foundation of the food web. So things would just absolutely collapse without those plants getting pollination services from our, our awesome pollinators. Definitely. And the world would be, yes, of course, food sources are very important, but I think the world would also be a very sad place without things like flowers and trees. <laughs> um, so we talk a lot at yard, at yard reform about the dangers of yard chemicals. And I wanted to briefly touch on that and the impact that might have on bee populations. And then just in general, the other things that we're doing that we might not know about that are hurting bees. Sure. Yeah. There, so yard chemicals can typically include um, any kind of pesticide and pesticides have different categories, insecticides, herbicides, 
fungicides all designed to kill a specific organism or a plant. And, and there's varying effects or impacts on pollinator populations. The big one, of course, is any kind of insecticide. Um, they're designed to kill insects, so uh, bees or in other insect pollinators aren't uh, immune to any kind of insecticide. But even people think, well, I'm using a herbicide that wouldn't directly impact a pollinator, but it would be perhaps killing the plants that the pollinators are dependent upon for flower resources. And even fungicides can uh, be detrimental, uh, just like we humans have uh, natural fungi in our gut, bees do as well. And there is some new evidence that's demonstrating that uh, fungicides can have um, uh, a similar uh, negative impact. Um, and then the other chemical I think of that we commonly use in, in our gardens is synthetic fertilizers. And synthetic fertilizers um, have really uh, detrimental effects to soil health. And healthy soils produce healthy plants that produce healthy floral resources, pollen and nectar. So if we have a chemical dependent yard that we're over fertilizing with synthetic fertilizers, that can have a um, sort of secondary effect on our insect pollinators. Absolutely. So if we're just speaking here to home landscapers or, or small gardeners in, in our backyards, how much of a difference can land, can just a homeowner have on bee populations, on, on doing the right thing, on introducing new plants? How much of a difference can home landscapes make? Oh, home landscapes are, I think, untapped potential, right? Because um, the amount of land that is privately owned in the U.S. is is really significant. So you can imagine if every homeowner converted just even one-fifth or one-quarter of their, their yard to flowering plants that were pesticide-free, um, that would have a huge impact on pollinator populations. Now, we do have this large diversity, if we're just speaking of bees, you know, in the U.S., we have approximately 3,700 species. Some of those are very, uh, I call them picky or Cinderella bees, right? They need, um, maybe they only survive in, in remnant plant communities and they need very specific habitat requirements, uh, certain soil type, uh, they're specializing on a particular plant. Um, then it would be unlikely that we would attract those rare specialists to our gardens, but gardens can support a fairly high diversity of bee species alone. And to me, that's that's one great reason why why wouldn't we want to plant more flowering plants to to draw in bees and help support populations? Absolutely. So if you want to be a part of the solution instead of the problem, <laughs> what would some easy ways to get started? Or, or maybe if you could only pick three plants to have, what would be the best way to just try and do this as soon as possible in the easiest way? Yeah, so if um, I just did a talk this week and I talked about thinking about, well, where would you start with a blank slate, right? And um, many people, when you, they purchase a home, there's certain areas that uh, to start with would be ones that you don't want to mow anymore. It could be a steep slope, 
um, an area that remains wet all the time. And those would be places, oh yeah, let's, let's convert the turf grass in those spots to pollinator plantings. One thing to keep in mind with that really high diversity of and number of bee species is they all have um, their own window of time that they're active through the growing season. So it's important to have something blooming from early spring uh, continuously all the way through to late fall. And that's something some gardeners don't really think about. You know, they, they don't do a lot of gardening in early spring, they, but they have beautiful perennial gardens that are blooming in the summer months. But people forget about what I call the bookends of the season, the early, early spring and late fall. And those can be critical for some of those bees that come out early and the ones that come out late as well. So for as far as plant selection, if you're on a limited budget, I would start with um, focusing on planting an insect pollinated tree because I call the tree, insect pollinated trees um, vertical flower power. You can imagine if you had a, a 30, just, just a single 30 foot tree that is insect pollinated uh, growing in your front yard. Um, and in, if you were to lay that down, the, the equivalent size of garden that would equate to would be pretty substantial. So you get a lot of bang for your buck with planting uh, insect pollinated trees. And sometimes many people completely forget about the role of woody plants, um, trees, shrubs, and how they can support pollinators. So for folks that aren't maybe uh, really into gardening, I would start with some a tree and maybe some flowering shrubs. That's a really excellent point. The just in general, the space that a tree takes up, you know, you just don't even think about that. And you, you also talk a lot about about native plants and and native bees. Um, what is the importance of native plants in specific, and how do we figure out? what the best plants to attract um, bees that are native in our area are. <laughs> yeah, it's really about the plants. So um, I would start with getting familiar with your local plant communities and what native plants grow in those, in similar situations that you have in your yard. Um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, no soil amendment, working with the conditions that you have. So, so if I have a, a partially shaded, yard that has well-drained soil what I would do would go to my, what I, I would do is go to my local park and look for similar conditions and situations and then get a sense of well what's growing and thriving there that's native and I've done that a lot over the years and had good success because when you choose native plants that um, and you select them for the right conditions and right uh, soil type that you have in your own yard uh, you really hit the easy button. There's no extra soil amendment. You don't have to fertilize. You, you've got the right plant in the right place. Um, for those starting out, it would be uh, beneficial to go on a nature walk or you can connect with your state native plant society or botanical club. Um, there's also organizations such as Wild Ones or the Prairie Enthusiasts that are proponents of using native landscapes or native plants rather in home gardens. Definitely. And I know there's some online databases, which I will throw some links to in the blog where you can put in your zip code and then just say, you know, what are the native plants for this type of part of my yard? So there are a lot of resources out there and it's so much better to 
do that, like you said, hit the easy button then have to do a bunch of work and actually add a bunch of time and money and things that are destroying the environment to your yard. So really important stuff. Um, so lastly, I just wanted to sort of open it up to you. Um, you know, I am not the most familiar with these topics. So if there is just something that I wouldn't have known to ask, um, what would you add to educate people on this subject? Well, I think if for those of people that are tuning in that are avid gardeners, the thing to think about is how you maintain your garden. And, you know, <laughs> traditional gardens tend to be um, highly managed um, and, you know, they have a lot of inputs, not necessarily if you've eliminated fertilizer and those kinds of inputs, but it's still human inputs. And what benefits pollinators and beneficial insects is not a lot of inputs. So what I like to tell people is um, think about your garden mimicking the what mother nature, the template mother nature provides. So in my own garden, I let the leaf litter fall in the fall on the planted areas. Um, I don't ever remove it. I leave all the plant material standing for the winter months, and then I cut it down in the spring. So I'm using those natural materials, the, the plant debris, the leaf litter, as my natural weed suppression and, and mulch. Um, I have, I'm, I'm a really practical person. So many years ago, I decided, why am I buying wood mulch? This is ridiculous. It costs money. I have to spend time every growing season spreading it in my garden. And I realized that uh, plants, plants and then those natural materials can be your alternative. So instead of spending money on mulch, I started spending on money on filling plants to, to fill those gaps that I was formerly mulching. And um, that is, that's a really inviting uh, way to, to bring in different types of pollinators. Many of them are overwintering under leaf litter. Uh, native bees that nest in the ground like to have good access to, to, to the soil to excavate their nest and they can easily uh, crawl under loose debris like leaf litter to, to get into the ground. Mulch, uh, if you're applying it year after year, can create this impenetrable layer and it can become very difficult for native bees to excavate nests in the ground. So in a way, um, doing those kinds of practices can discourage pollinator populations. Definitely. A great point to bring up right now in the fall when we're all watching, depending on where you live, either watching the leaves fall down or they already have. And we've been trying to encourage people to not clean up, <laughs> essentially. Yep. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the word clean up because no garden should ever be cleaned up, right? Clean up is like we're custodians or something. And, um, you know, again, Mother Nature doesn't clean up her garden. You go in a forest, uh, it's, it's, you know, has leaf litter, it has logs on the ground, but it's, it looks nice if, if, you, if you learn to appreciate that aesthetic. Definitely. And, and that's actually one of the things, you know, we strive to do here at, at Yard Reform is really just change your minds, you know, just change the way you look at what is a perfect yard, what is a perfect garden, perfect landscape. You know, for so long, we've had this idea of a perfectly mowed lawn. Well, that just can't be the standard anymore. It's just not okay anymore. Mother Nature knows what she's doing. 
And it's way easier to take this approach of, you know, not cleaning up and following what nature wants. So I appreciate that input a lot. And Heather, where can people find your books if they're interested in learning more about pollinators? Oh, um, my books are, you can find them through my author website, which is pollinatorsnativeplants.com. And then the other usual places, they're for sale on Amazon and uh, many local bookstores and libraries. So those would be the places I would check them out and read the reviews. Um, I do have a new book coming out early next year. And uh, so stay tuned for that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for doing this, for sharing your knowledge and for making the world a better place by inviting more bees into everyone's yards. Appreciate it. Thanks, Emily. Thank you for listening to the Yard Reform Podcast. Make sure to check us out at yardreform.org where you can sign up to help make a difference in your own community by volunteering to be a yard reform community advocate and get yard chemicals out of your community, out of your neighborhood. It's really helpful and we could use your hands. But also check us out on social media, at Yard Reform, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We appreciate your support and your love in any way. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.
Thank you as always for listening and make sure to check out Yard Reform at yardreform.org or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere on the web that you like to hang out. You can contact Yard Reform at yardreform at gmail.com. Let us know what topics you're interested in exploring or if you have some knowledge that you'd like to share on the Yard Reform podcast. Stay green out there, folks. Until next time.